In January of 2018, the British Prime Minister created a new governmental position whose job would be to target what was then perceived to be one of the UK's most significant social problems. Now, the official title for this ministerial representative who headed this initiative was the Minister for Sport and Civil Society. But the unofficial and perhaps more accurate title was the Minister for Loneliness, because that was the crisis that needed to be addressed. Loneliness. And the UK isn't the only one who has called attention to this problem. In May of 2023, the United States Surgeon General published a report in which he named loneliness and social isolation as two of the greatest threats to public health in America. And he said that we need to face this epidemic with the same seriousness and urgency with which we face other major public health issues like tobacco or obesity or substance abuse. Of course, all the talk that we hear about the problem of loneliness, it, it might make you think that what we all need is to just surround ourselves with more people more often, that the cure for loneliness is constant companionship. But maybe that isn't true. In his book, Richard Foster agrees that loneliness is a significant problem, but the solution he gives isn't just to cultivate more social connection. The solution that he puts forward is actually quite different. Loneliness, he says, or clatter are not our only alternatives. We can cultivate an inner solitude and silence that sets us free from loneliness and fear. Loneliness is inner emptiness. Solitude is inner fulfillment. I'll be honest, when I first read that, I thought it was a bit strange. How can solitude be the cure for loneliness? After all, aren't these the same thing? But as I continued reading, it became very clear that what Foster means by solitude is not just being alone. Solitude, he says, is a state of mind and heart. It's an, it's an inward attentiveness that enables us to be at rest, whether we're alone or whether we're with other people. If we possess inner solitude, we do not fear being alone, for we know that we are not alone. Nor do we fear being with others, for they do not control us. Now, Foster also points out that solitude was a very important discipline in Jesus' own life, and one that he regularly invited his followers to cultivate as well. Jesus frequently and intentionally spent time away from the crowds, and he sought out solitary places to be with God. And that practice, it seems, is one of the things that enabled him to be so attentive when he was with people and, and to talk with them with such little anxiety. Another thing Foster notes in his discussion of solitude is just how closely aligned it is with the discipline of silence. In fact, he says at one point, in fact, I wrestled for some time trying to decide whether to title this chapter the discipline of solitude or the discipline of silence. So closely connected are the two in the great devotional literature. Both silence and solitude are necessary for the health of our souls. Both are essential ways that we can make room 
for the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Remember, that's what Foster says the spiritual disciplines are all about. But neither are easy. So how can Richard Foster help us to cultivate solitude and silence? I'd like to break that question up into two parts. First, what are the obstacles that keep us from these disciplines? And second, what are some practical steps forward to cultivating solitude? Let's start with the first. Why is it so difficult to cultivate this discipline? What are some of the obstacles we face? In a section titled, The Sacrifice of Fools, Foster talks about our resistance to being silent and our tendency to talk more than we should. And he makes what I think are two very insightful observations about about why we do this, why we tend to talk, why we find it so hard to just be quiet. The first has to do with control. One reason, he says, we can hardly bear to remain silent is that it makes us feel helpless. We're so accustomed to relying on words to manage and control others. If we're silent, who will take control? Being quiet takes away any control you have. It can make you feel helpless, which is one reason that Foster so often connects our lack of silence and solitude with fear. Fear, he says, it was what motivates the the constant noise in our lives. Fear is what drives our ceaseless chatter. Fear of others and fear of ourselves. And because of that, if we're ever going to learn the discipline of silence and the inward attitude of solitude, it will require something of us. It will require trust. It's an interesting question to ask yourself. Do you actually trust God enough to remain silent? Do you trust him enough to hold your tongue and not talk? And closely connected with this issue of fear and with the loss of control is the second reason that he identifies, the second obstacle that keeps us from silence. It's not just fear of losing control, or or fear of being alone. We resist silence because of our fear of what others think of us. We, We worry about our reputation, about how others might be perceiving us. So we find ourselves talking instead of listening, speaking instead of being quiet because we're trying to constantly manage the way that other people perceive us. Now those are those are two of what I would call the inner obstacles that Foster says prevent us from solitude. But in addition to those inner obstacles, I think we should also acknowledge that there's some external obstacles we face. When Richard Foster published this book in 1978, you have to remember, televisions were a still relatively new phenomenon in American homes. Cell phones didn't exist. And no one owned a personal computer. It's not to say that there weren't sources of noise and distraction then. There were, but nothing like what we face today. Today, we we live in what some science writers refer to as an ecosystem of interruption technologies. The devices in our homes, our cars, in our pockets, they're all specifically designed to, to interrupt and distract us, to ensure that even when we are alone, we're never really quiet. Now, Jesus had to be intentional to find times where he could devote himself to solitude and silence. And 
that was way back in first century Palestine. Can you imagine how intentional Jesus would have to be today? Our need for solitude isn't any less than his. But we need to be realistic about the obstacles we face. So what then can we do? How can we cultivate this discipline, even amidst the obstacles, even amidst all the noise and distraction? Now, Foster dedicates the last part of his chapter to answering just that question in a section he entitles, Steps into Solitude. And as usual, he he gives some wonderfully practical advice, like his first suggestion. He suggests we learn how to take advantage of what he calls the little solitudes throughout the day. And most of us, most of us have obligations that are going to keep us from going off by ourselves for long periods of time. But that doesn't mean that we can't practice solitude as we go about our business throughout the day. Like just moments in the early morning before others awake. Or time that we are spending driving around in a car. Or even just taking five or ten minutes by ourselves. At night, maybe, before we go to bed. These tiny snatches of time, he says, are often lost to us. What a pity. They can and should be redeemed. They are little moments that help us to be genuinely present where we are. Another suggestion that he makes is to develop what he calls a quiet place. It could be a place in your home, a room maybe, or or even just a specific chair that you use specifically for moments of solitude. Or maybe it's a place outside your home, to a spot in a park, or maybe a quiet coffee shop where you can practice silence. The point is we have to be intentional in choosing places and times to practice this discipline. We're not going to develop solitude accidentally. And Foster also gives other helpful tips. Like he says, we could practice remaining quiet and not speaking when we're with others. Or, or even, he suggests, maybe trying to set aside as an experiment, set aside an entire day to live without words. That's something I've never done before. At four times a year, he says, it would be helpful to withdraw at least four times a year for, for just two, three, four hours to simply be alone quietly before the Lord, to reevaluate and to reorient our goals that we have for ourselves. In all of these ways, our our purpose isn't just being quiet or being alone for its own sake, but cultivating the spiritual discipline of solitude. And, And this isn't just for our benefit, but for the benefit of others as well. The fruit of solitude, Foster says in his conclusion, the fruit of solitude is increased sensitivity and compassion for others. And then he gives this really wonderful quote from Thomas Merton, a quote that captures the benefit of this discipline. Merton says, It is in deep solitude that I find the gentleness with which I can truly love my brothers. The more solitary I am, the more affection I have for them. Solitude and silence teach me to love my brothers for what they are, not for what they say. We face an epidemic of loneliness today. And we often respond to this loneliness through constant distraction. But Jesus, Foster says, calls us from loneliness to solitude. And solitude leads to freedom. 
freedom from fear, freedom from anxiety, and freedom to be attentive to the needs of others, to love them, as Merton put it, to love them for what they are and not for what they say. 